James Horror Review. I am your host, Just James, and today we are talking about the 2014 film Jezebel. This is episode 27. Welcome back, everyone. I'm your host, Just James, and today we are talking about the 2014 film Jezebel. I found this gem on Tubi. I can't remember where I saw I saw a commercial or something for somewhere I heard about this film. Saw that it was available on there and decided to watch it, and holy shit, it did not disappoint. I have to tell you, probably one of the best films that I've reviewed thus far, to be honest with you. Just the ones, just, I had, it, it had all the things that I love in a horror film, all of the uh, aspects of like folk horror, witchy kind of stuff, like it hit all those buttons. Now it's it's in that category, of course. It's not you know sci-fi or slash or any of the other things that are cool too. But as far as for what it was, oh man, and it scared the shit out of me. <laughs> it was actually a movie that was scary. It had the jump scares, it gave you the the chicken skin, all the good stuff. So it was just a really just good solid horror film on Tubi. So yeah. All right, so anyway, this film's going to be directed by Kevin Grutert. I'm sure that's not how you say his name, but he was the director also on Saw 3D and Saw 6. He also has some producer creds on Leatherface and Spiral, so some guy that knows his horror. Now, I thought it was interesting that he worked on those films because maybe in how the film looks on the screen, I guess you can see those things, but it's not a Saw film at all. It's not overtly grotesque or anything like that, so... Uh, the fact that he's worked on those films, I guess, helped him make this, but there are no uh, similarities. You know, it's not the same. The writer for this film is Robert Garant, and he's written stuff, for, oddly enough, for Reno 911 and Hell Baby, the new Baywatch movie, Balls of Fury, and Night at the Museum. So it's weird that he wrote, it seems like mainly, you know, just kind of your family comedy stuff, you know, comedy type writer but yet he wrote the script for this because there's no comedy in this there's no comedy at all there's no comedy comedic relief or anything like that it's a pretty i guess serious movie the whole time so interesting that these two guys came together and i'm sure all the other people that helped to create this film i was just so pleasantly surprised i mean if you watch this film you hate it i'd just be would really be surprised but if you did let me know you can email me at just james horror podcast at gmail.com and let me know hey this movie sucked dude you're way off base uh but i don't think so if you like the kind of styles that I've talked about in previous episodes, I think you're really going to like this film. And let's see here. What else? Our main character in this film is going to be played by Sarah Snook. When you see her, I believe that you're going to recognize her from other films. However, I couldn't really pin... I mean, she was in, uh, let's see, Run, Rabbit, Run, Winchester, and Secession, and a whole bunch of other, you know, series and stuff like that. Not a whole, not any, I think, like real big bangers of a movie or anything like that, but... Uh, she's easily recognizable, and all the people in this film, I will say, there's a bunch of other casts that I think you'll recognize, but you don't really know, just kind of like some of these other lower-end uh, films. But everybody can act. I think everyone did a good job, and it just also helped with this movie. So you had a lot of people that do re- really well at what they do, but have maybe never been in anything super awesome, but it all came together to make a really fucking good film. So let's talk about it. So as usual, there is a lot in this film. It's not really just straightforward. I think the mystery is 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 the film. So there's going to be a lot to get to. So I might fly through this. I know I kind of talk fast anyway, but it's going to happen a lot in this episode because I really like the movie. So I want to talk about all of it. 
But we'll start with the beginning is there's a couple and you can tell they're very much in love and everything's sunny and bright. And they live in this, you know, uh, looks like a really nice, just clean, uh, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, upper middle class uh, American dream type neighborhood. And they're packing up and talking about how the woman is pregnant and they're going to start their new life somewhere else and all this other jazz. And uh, they get in their car, they throw some boxes in there, they get in the car to leave, and as soon as they pull out of the driveway, smack, they get hit by this big-ass truck. And then we immediately cut from that to the woman that was in the scene. She's in the hospital, and they're doing, you know, emergency surgery on her, but there's this scene in that, or this part in that scene where they pull something out of her neck, the doctor removes it, and he's like... This is a piece of bone from a man. And he takes it out of her neck. Pretty fucking, I was just like, oh, God. It's, a, it's impactful for him to say that to be such a early on scene that didn't really have much going on. But now you realize it was the skull of her husband, fiance, whatever he was, in the side of her neck that got busted out of his, you know, head when the truck hit him or whatever. So I was just like, oh, God, that's pretty, pretty fucking gnarly. So I like that part. Then they do a couple of voiceover things, and he says something about how she will be able to walk, but it's going to take a couple of months and a lot of therapy. And she rolls over and asks the doctor about the baby, and he just says, I'm sorry, and pisses off. And, uh, yeah, we just go straight from that. And like I said, this is the first, you know, three minutes of the film. And uh, they're asking her, who can she call to help take care of her? And she says she can talk to her dad, but she hasn't seen him in a long time. So cut to a scene of her driving with her dad back to, assumably, her dad's house. And there's, of course, like a flask sitting in the seat next to him. He looks like an alcoholic. I mean, they're very much trying to portray him. You know instantly this dude's a drunk, or or he's an alcoholic, or at least a drunk. So there's a bottle in his house when they get there. It's real dirty and just uncat, and there's shit everywhere. And you can tell the guy just doesn't care about himself or where he lives or anything like that. She seems... You know, happy to be seeing her dad, but also uncomfortable at the same time. So you're trying to understand, like, what is the dynamic between these two? Kind of what's going on? So anyway, they get to the house. The dad gets her out, puts her in the wheelchair, wheels her inside of the house, and takes her to a room downstairs. And there's this big, huge china cabinet that is blocking the door. And it's a very odd scene. You're like, what the fuck's up with that? Why Why is this door blocked by this china? Why does he not want to go in there? Why is he about to put her in there? So he scoots the thing out of the way, and then we learn that that is her mother's room. Assumably she's dead, because why the fuck would he lock her in there? And, and, of course, she's okay with this. And he just wheels her in there, and the room looks just however they left it, assumably, after the, mo- the mother died. And the dad comes in, he gives her some old clothes and stuff that he said he got from her aunt, whatever. They're just kind of setting the stage of, like, here is where she's going to be staying at. So other than that, not really a lot going on. She go, or She's trying to go to sleep that night, and she just can't. She's kind of tossing and turning. And I can't remember if they had said at this point where this is actually taking place, but in the little words on the screen, it says parish. And for those that don't know, a parish is what they call counties in some places like Louisiana. I don't know if there's other places that they call them parishes, but in Louisiana, for sure, that's what they call them. And the setting looks very swampy. It's got the big, wispy, spooky-ass trees, and it's a swamp or a lake or something out there in front of the house. And the main character, Jezebel, is, uh, she she has this country accent sometimes. It just kind of comes and goes throughout the film. Obviously, that's just a 
a, a character issue. Sometimes she lays it on a little thick. Sometimes she doesn't. And it's not really a Southern Louisiana accent. Now, I'm just going to be a fucking nerd and just say that that's where uh, my family is from originally is from uh, Southern Louisiana. So it's interesting to know that, I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. They couldn't have used a real Southern Louisiana accent in this movie because nobody would understand what the fuck they were talking about. <laughs> okay. I'll go ahead and tell you that. So understandably, they didn't go with that, but it just sounds kind of Texan or, you know, Tennessee, just those kind of places, just kind of a hokey uh, redneck accent. But anyway, it comes and goes. And apparently she's from South Australia. So I don't know if that is a hard accent for someone from South Australia to do. Maybe it is. Maybe it doesn't. Anyway, I'm getting sidetracked. Okay. So uh, she can't. She can't sleep, right? And already this first night, it gets spooky. She's laying there. She rolls over. She's trying to go to sleep. She thinks maybe she sees something because there's this big, like, it's the bed with the posts and the canopy, and it's got these curtains or whatever, so she closes the curtains on the bed to try to sleep because there's this weird mirror over there that keeps looking at her. And she rolls over to that curtain, and you can kind of see just barely, just ba- and they do this so good in this movie, you can just barely see the silhouette of somebody sitting there. And it's her wheelchair, but you could just barely make out the outline of someone sitting in the wheelchair. And she almost sees it, but she kind of doesn't, just like you watching. And then all of a sudden it becomes a little more defined. Holy shit. Instant chicken skin. I don't know where you call it where you're from. Some people call it goose flesh. Some people call it, you know, uh, chicken skin. I don't know if there's other ways to call it, but it's when you get the little bumpies on your arm. If you don't know what I'm talking about, like when the hair raises up, we call it chicken skin around here. So I got the chicken skin, but it was just great creepy in you know how they build the creep this quick this fast was really interesting that's why i say the producer and the writer did such a great job with this with him being a comedic writer and the other guy working on things like saw i don't know how they did it so quick i'm gonna say it was the colors of the film the theme the tone and all that they had set going up to it also think with him getting with her and her a guy getting smashed in the very beginning and her being pregnant they kind of hit you with an emotional sledgehammer right at the very beginning so i think that's also sort of a a primer to kind of get you in this mood because as soon as that happens, it's loud, it's violent, and then the rest of the movie is going to be real quiet and subtle. And then just this undercut of unease throughout the whole thing to where you're never really comfortable, but there's really nothing going on. So you're trying to, you, you can't really put your finger on it. All right, so she sees this creepy thing in the chair. She pulls the curtain back and it's just her chair. Why did she pull the curtain back? I know I wouldn't. I would hide under the covers and I would go to sleep and hope whatever the fuck that is goes away until the next day. But yeah, she's uh, brave and she pulls the curtain and there's nothing there. So anyway, the next day she gets up and she starts snooping around the house. And as she does, you can faintly you hear a woman crying over it. She finds a radio and turns it on. It's just listening to it and checking things out. And you kind of hear a woman cry over the radio, but you're not 100% sure. And I'll be honest with you, the only reason I heard it is because I had captions on. Because when you're trying to watch a movie, a lot of times you can't hear shit. Because, you know, whatever. I got ears that hear airplanes all day, so I'm fucking deaf. But anyway, while she's snooping around, she finds this box underneath her mom's de- uh, bed. And it's got these VHS tapes in it. And holy shit, I understand that there's some of you listening right now, maybe, possibly, if you're under the age of mm, 25, maybe, you might not know what a VHS is. It's a fucking, how do I explain this? It's a, it's like, it's film inside of a little plastic black box that you would put inside of a bigger black box called a VCR to play 
on TV. So it's what CDs or DVDs and Blu-ray and all took the place of VHS tapes. Now, if you don't, like, you might have seen them in movies and stuff, but if you're listening to this and you don't believe me, and you got, like, a nephew or a, a, a cousin or a kid or someone around you that's still a teenager, just go ask them. Say, hey, you know what a VHS is? Or say, I watched, I don't know, Ace Ventura on VHS, and they'll be like, what the fuck is that? It's going to blow your shit all over the wall when, when they say that, I'm telling you. Anyway, so she finds this box, and it's marked for her. It's got her name. Jezebel across the top. So now we know her name is Jezebel. I think before this, people were calling her Jezzy or Jess or something like that. So it's Jezebel. She gets these tapes. And I will say this, okay? There's a box under the bed with these tapes in it. And the room is pretty clean. Like, there's nothing in there. And apparently the mom's been dead and gone for a while. So how these bo- this box was a mystery, who the hell knows, which will come into play later. But anyway, she gets it, pops these tapes in this old school TV uh, with a VCR and... Hits play, and it's her mom. And it's one of those, hey, if you're watching this, I'm dead type videos. But another cool part about it is it that the mom is pregnant with Jezebel. So it's a really old, you know, box of uh, tapes and stuff because mom's still pregnant. Jezebel's a, an adult at this point. So they've been there for a hot minute, and she's never known about it or seen them. Now, in this video, the mom says, you know, I was going to give you, or I was going to give you this to you on your 18th birthday, but if you're watching this, I'm dead. I didn't know if I should do this, but I decided I really wanted to. So she just kind of gives her a little bit of information about her day-to-day stuff. She talks about a cook named Miss Davis and some of the other people that worked around the house, talks about her dad. And then, just oddly enough, she says, I want to do a tarot card reading for you as a gift. And she's just like, this is something I do. I'm really good at it. I learned how to do it from a friend of ours, and I'm, I'm never wrong. I'm never wrong. So she starts laying these cards out. She's going to start doing this tarot reading deal or whatever. And uh, Jezebel notices that her mom is wearing a special bracelet. And then she looks down at her arm. She has the same bracelet. So she's like, oh, shit, mom, I still got your bracelet. Oh, and they're, you know, she's reminiscing. It's a very, it's a, it's a sweet scene. You know, it's, it's sweet. I can imagine, you know. But mom starts laying these cards out. And she says, the first card is death. And she's like, don't worry, death just means change. It, it, it's not anything bad. Well, then she says, there's a female presence in the house. And she's like, well, that's okay. It could be a guardian angel or it could be me. You know, it could be me in the house with you or whatever. And then she says, the female presence wants you to leave. And she's saying that it's her house. And then the mom gets all weirded out and she, as she flips another card or two and she stands up and walks off the uh, the screen of, you know, of what she's watching. And then all of a sudden, boom, another fucking jump scare, right? Dad comes in there and he's like, what in the hell are you watching? And uh, he sees that it's the mom on there and he freaks out. I'm talking, he yanks the tape out, breaks it over his knee, starts screaming at her, picks her up out of the chair, sets her, you know, to the side, takes the wheelchair, walks that bitch right outside, right down the dock and just tosses it into the lake or the swamp or whatever this is, uh, you know, the bayou thing. So, and just chucks it and that's it. And so she's sitting there shocked. And I think you watching me anyway, I'm shocked as well because you knew that the dude was a drinker or whatever, but you don't really know their history. Was he abusive in the past? Had he hit her? Kind of what's going on? Nothing's been explained. But then when you see this, you're like, oh, fuck, this dude has got a temper and he's kind of maybe probably a bit of a scumbag, you know, he might probably a scumbag. Uh, actions going on here so so also during this he says some mean stuff to her like that's not your mother on there and some you know it's kind of weird but also you don't know if he's just trying to be a dick so that night Jezebel again she's having some trouble going to sleep but she finally does and she has these weird 
um, really lucid dreams about herself being wheeled around, and she sees what appears to be uh, a man on the floor that is has burnt skin, and he's making some like voodoo type insignias on the floor with some dirt, and he's got some candles burning, and it's just really uh, very dreamscapish. You know, she's seeing all this random stuff. Now, also during this time, whether she's awake or not, she's laying in her bed, and she sees the silhouette of the wheelchair woman again in a room, but this time, it's not just kind of something spooky in the back. It actually comes up to her and puts its hand through the curtain, and you can see the little finger, like, reaching out for her, and you're like, oh, my God, I'm freaking the fuck out. And then it gets to her, and right before it gets to her, it says her name. It says Jezebel. It's creepy as hell. It it had my arm hairs standing all kinds up, and, uh, yeah, another just good scene for me. So next morning, she comes out, and her... I'm sorry, she doesn't come out because she's in a wheelchair. So she wakes up, and there is another wheelchair sitting there next to her bed. Weird, right? So she gets in it. She wheels out to the kitchen. Her dad's out there and says, hey, that was your mom's old wheelchair. I'm really sorry. And he's all apologetic and, you know, saying that he's sorry. And then he gives us a little backstory on what happened to mom. So we learn that mom ended up having brain tumors, and the dad says that her tumors were eating away at her brain, and there near the end she was just saying all kinds of crazy stuff and hallucinating and she wasn't herself and that's what he meant by that's not your mother on there don't listen to her those tapes are just going to scare you so um of course and understandably she's like this is all i have left of my mom this is the only way i have to get to know her and he's like well that's not your mother that's old tumor brain you know so so of course jezebel does i think what any of us would do when our dad tells us not to do something we immediately go find another tape and start watching it um the dad leaves for work or who knows what and she starts watching this second tape and it's her mom who tells her that she learned how to read cards from a local priest there and he's the one that taught her you know how how to do this and that's what you know he's never wrong she's never wrong that's how she got so good at it and she says that she had went to him to ask about the tarot card reading that she did because obviously she's worried about her unborn baby and what this reading means and the priest says that it, that she had an accident and that the other woman is a demon, but it's an inner demon, which means it is Jezebel, so not to worry. So the mom on the tape is telling Jezebel, like, hey, I don't know what's happened to you. I don't know if you were in a big accident or something, but it's not your fault. None of this is your fault. Don't dwell on this kind of stuff. This demon is an inner demon, so don't let it control your life or scare you or keep you from living and all this other stuff. So, um... I guess to kind of buffer that, it's a real mom move. She's like, so we're going to do another reading. You know, let's just do another one. We'll throw that one to the side now that we know what that means. It's not all scary and spooky. Let's give you another one and see what the future holds. Well, shit. Bad idea. Because guess what the future holds? More bad news. She flips over maybe one card. Maybe it was two. I can't remember. Has this awful, awful, great acting, by the way, awful look on her face. And says that she sees a horrible death and then just leaves the screen again. Oh, and I also forgot to point out that earlier, because it'll come up later, that Jezebel, as she was snooping around the house, she saw, like, some flashing lights across the bayou and the trees. It was over the other side of the swamp, so that, that part will come in later, but I, I want to throw it out there so it's not uh, confusing when it comes up. So anyway, that's the news that she got from the tape. She has another hallucination the next day when she's in the tub, and this demon woman is there in the tub with her, so it's your classic horror scene of... Someone's in the tub, they got their eyes closed, they're chilling, it's a real, you know, uh, relaxed, easygoing, just trying to 
decompressed scene and holy shit you open your eyes and there's a demon lady sitting across from you screaming in your face so this demon not only does she do this crazy banshee scream in her face but they straight up start to fight it you know she uh she drags herself out of the tub because, again, she can't walk. So she drags herself out of the tub. Her and this demon thing are covered in this thick, oily, black liquid, and they're wrestling all over the floor. And, of course, Jezebel's just scared to shit. Oh, and the, the black, oily liquid. So the dad had said in the beginning when she first came to the house that, hey, sometimes the water runs black. Just keep it going for a little while, and eventually it'll clear up. All right, so anyway, Jezebel's right in the middle of this demon scrap that she's having, and winds up against the wall, and she's just screaming. She's panicked, and all of a sudden the lights come on, and everything is normal. There's nothing there. There's no weird black gooey water anywhere. There's no demon. There's just a tub with water all over the floor, and her sitting there screaming like a crazy person, and the dad comes in, and he's trying to tell her, like, hey, there's nothing there. There's nothing there, and I think later on, or maybe right there, she asked her dad, like, well, what did you mean by nothing was there? In other words, that's a weird thing to say to someone that's screaming their head off. Instead of saying, what's wrong, he's like, there's nothing there. Because she wasn't screaming about, there's someone out there, no shit like that. She was just, you know, freaking out. And so now we kind of know that something's up, right? The dad knows a little more than he's putting on because he's acting super weird about the mom videos. And now she has this, you know, panic attack and he is saying there's nothing there. So we're get, we're slowly being fed a little bit more and a little bit more of this. For one thing, we're building more mystery, but also kind of starting to piece together, together a little bit of what we didn't know before, if that makes any fucking sense. So after all this happened, the dad goes and looks for more tapes because he knows that she had watched some more tapes. He finds two more of them, and he's like, I'm going to put an end to this. I'm going to go burn these. So dad gets those tapes, takes them outside. He's trying to find something. He throws them in a barrel, and he tries to find like some type of uh, gas or some accelerant or something to burn them up. Goes inside a little shed, finds some gas, goes out there and pours a shit ton of gas on these things. Look, I know it's the movies. I know you can overanalyze stuff. That's cool. But the dude poured so much fucking gas on this thing. If he would have lit a match over that thing, it would have blew everything out of that fucking barrel. It's crazy. He poured it like he was trying to, I don't know, wash off his boots with a jug of water. It was insane the amount of gas. Anyway, it's not a big deal. Don't think about it when you're watching the movie so he does all that he can't seem to light it he goes back in to find something else he goes back into the shed and finds something i can't remember if he finds a lot he finds a different lighter or something like that well he goes to test it and strike it inside the shed the lighter lights well as soon as it lights his whole arm lights on fire and then his chest and jezebel looks outside and the fucking shed is now shooting flames out of it i mean hot crazy flames out of this thing just instantly lit up and there's also a scene where you can see that the door locks itself there's just kind of a lever that falls down over it and locks the dad inside there essentially to burn alive of course Jezebel throws herself out of the chair and she tries to get there but you know she doesn't and the dad dies what holy shit so it's turning into a pretty bad month for Jezebel she's just had her husband fiance whatever he was you know get his head exploded and piece of his skull or lodged inside of her body she lost the pregnancy and now her dad is burned alive you can already know that her mom's dead so yeah it's a it's a rough one for her and she can't walk at the moment anyway at the funeral she meets an old friend named Preston and she glances over and sees the burnt guy that she saw in one of her nightmares and passes out and then there's a like a little short scene of her being treated by paramedics and everyone asking her what's wrong whatever she can't really communicate with them it's just kind of a dream sequence sort of then it cuts to a scene of her laying in the bed 
And the guy that she met over there, which I guess was an old high school friend, Preston, is sleeping in the wheelchair next to her bed. Just kind of a night watch looking sort of situation you don't really know yet. And someone is walking towards the bed. This this hand reaches out that's a little creepy. It's creepy the way it reaches out, but you can't, it's not like rotting flesh hand. You know, that's what I mean. So it's kind of, the skin's kind of gray, but you don't know who it is. And the finger reaches over slowly, ever so slowly, and then taps Preston on the shoulder and he wakes up like, what the fuck? Turns around, nothing's there. Again, just one of those super skin crawly, uncomfortable moments that this film does. Oh, oh it, they, they tow the line. They tow the line of doing it almost too much, but I think it was a, it was a, a tasteful amount for to keep the movie good. So Jezebel wakes up, sees him sitting there like a creep watching her sleep, and of course she wants to know like, hey, did, were you here all night? Were you just sleeping in this chair next to bed? And he's like, oh yeah, I just want to. So anyway, through all this, we find out that they used to date, and also though, but now Preston is married, but he just spent the night with another woman, so I think he was lying to his wife about what was happening or whatever, and then. Jezebel decides to tell him right away, even though she hasn't been there in years, and she sees this guy, and the first thing she does, she starts telling him about all these crazy dreams and the videos and all that stuff, just lays it on him, just says, hey, I know we haven't seen each other in years, I really appreciate you helping take care of me and watching over, make sure I'm okay, because now she has no family, no one to take care of her, um, but let me throw all this heavy drama right in your lap real fast. So I guess he does what his character is supposed to do, and he tries to be logical about it, I think he watches some of the video, and he's like, look... She was wrong, you know. She said she was always right, but she's only kind of been right about some things. The horrible death was your dad, you know, burnt. If any of this is true, he's trying to say, like, well, the death was your dad. The woman in the house is, is you, you know, and the accident that you had before. Don't worry about it. Well, Preston has to go. He leaves after that, and Jezebel decides that night, you know what? She's going to have a few drinks. She's just going to relax. She uh, cozies up with a uh, one of those, what do you call them, like a dirty novel, like a sexy book where it has the really, you know, chiseled chest dude on the front, and he's usually got some type of fabric hanging off of him, and there's like a lady, you know, whatever you call those. And, of course, this leads to her deciding to watch another tape. Now, in the scene before, she was talking to Preston. He was like, hey, I understand that if it was my mom and that's all I had left, I'd want to keep these tapes too. But he suggests, why don't we wait until you get better? Okay, let's wait until you're in a better mental state, a better physical state, and then let's dive into these movies a little bit. Well, it doesn't take long after a couple of shots of whiskey that she's ready to watch these tapes again. She pops in the tape, and it is a Christmas party with her parents. And, of course, the mom is still pregnant, and mom and dad are sitting there. And you can tell there from this video, anyway, that they are or were extremely wealthy at one point. They have servants. And, again, in this scene, it says something about Louisiana, so now I know for sure that's where we're at. But the Christmas party, they're just kind of, you know, everybody looks happy, and everybody's having fun. Uh, but again, they do have servants, and there's a weird kind of interaction with them that makes you kind of think, like, well, what's that about? And so she pops that tape out, decides she's going to put in another one, and she puts in this other tape, and it's just her mom screaming at her, saying, you're already dead. You're already dead, Jezebel. You're already dead. And just freaking the fuck out. And so, uh, and then mom slaps the camera. Well, when she slaps the camera, the whiskey bottle on the table flies off and smacks the TV and busts all over the place. And then she looks up and there's like this fire out in the trees, like beyond the bayou where she was seeing all the sparkly stuff earlier. And, you know, it's just kind of all hell breaks loose really fast for a couple of seconds. And in the midst of all this, she's 
back in her wheelchair and it starts kind of moving around on its own. She's hearing all kinds of footsteps and people just banging around upstairs and running. And then for whatever reason, she turns and there's that big mirror that was in the beginning. She kind of gets lured into it. And it's, oh, I think it's actually literally calling her name, saying her name. So she goes over to it. She reaches out to touch it. What the fuck's going to happen? I don't know. She touches the mirror and then it smashes all over the place. And of course, there's some kind of hole or something behind it. And what's in there? It's another fucking tape. All right, so all that goodness happens and then just cuts to her waking up in her bed. She wakes up in her bed, she rolls over, and the whiskey bottle and the glass and everything is sitting there pretty much untouched on the table next to her. So now we're trying to figure out, as you're watching, like, what is reality and what is not? You know, what is just these weird hallucinations? Is she being haunted by some kind of weird demon? Is it where they said it was an inner demon? You're like, is this just her kind of losing her mind? What's going on here? Anyways, you're trying to figure that out. Her buddy Preston comes over again and somehow one way or another they end up on a boat to go check out what those sparkly lights are out in the woods because as she's talking to him Preston sees him out there too and he's like well fuck it we'll just get on a boat and go check it out so they go over there and they find some they find a bunch of like voodoo artifact type stuff hanging in the trees like uh Stuff you was you would use I guess in seances or whatever there's just a bunch of totems and stuff hanging around out there and they go to the bank and they find a, a chicken that's been used in a ritual. It's fresh. And they find some things that have been burned, which goes back to the night before. So now we know the fire stuff was real that she was actually seeing out of the window. And they move some stuff around, and they find a fucking gravestone. Well, what's on the gravestone? Jezebel. And even more, her fucking birthday. Right, your head explodes. It's getting super creepy. What is this mystery? We don't even know. You're still trying to figure out the first like 45 minutes of the fucking movie, and then this happens. So I'm all over the place, but I'm all in. Like I said, this movie had me from beginning to end. I, I never got bored with it. I was excited. I was there for it. She's got a gravestone with her birthday. They don't know. So what does she do? Well, she just kind of like, you know, moves her shoulder and she's just like, oh, I just wonder what's under there. You know, I wonder if only somebody could dig it up. So Preston, he simps out. He goes and gets a shovel. He digs this thing up and they actually find a coffin. And it's a small coffin, not a big person coffin. And they pull it out and uh, it looks empty at first. You know, it just looks like it's full of swamp water or whatever. And as they pour it out, pulled up there at the very bottom is a little tiny baby skeleton so they call the cops sheriff comes by uh just basically tells him hey you're right to call us this is weird we think maybe it's just kind of some kind of stillbirth that was or stillborn that was you know delivered and they just buried it out here or whatever but we'll take a dna test and try to figure out what's going on here and obviously at this point they're really freak or jezebel's really freaking out so she asked preston to take her to these places of people that the mom mentioned in the video like the cook and some of the other servants and they go visit, I think the first one's going to be the cook that the mom mentioned, and they go up, and Preston's like, oh, hey, I used to play with your son, and she's like, oh, yeah, you know, she jokes around with him or whatever, well, then the girl says something like, oh, hey, you know, my mom was, I don't remember mom's name, but that was my mom, uh, my name's Jezebel, and the cook lady freaks out, she just starts yelling at her a bunch of Haitian stuff, or I should say she starts saying a bunch of stuff in Haitian, and also says some other things about demons possessing people and all that you know because a, a gardener or somebody walks up and translates afterwards saying hey she was saying something to you about demons possessing a body and uh, you're going to get yours and revenge is on the way and all this kind of other weird stuff so again we're compounding this mystery what's going to happen i don't know we only got like 20 minutes in the movie so it needs to hurry the fuck up 
So after this encounter, they want to go find the priest that mom learned how to read tarot cards from, obviously. And his name is Moses. Well, they go to where Moses lives, and they find his house. And as they walk out there, kind of on the bank or on the dock or something, they see like a an effigy or a sacrifice to him. It's got his picture up there, and you see a bunch of stuff, you know, a bunch of voodoo-looking type things laying around it. And it says that he died on Jezebel's birthday. So now we have all this crazy stuff, like all these birth dates lining up, all this stuff. What in the shit is going on? Now, another thing too I thought about with all the dates matching, do you remember that movie with, uh, I, well, I can't remember who was in it, but it was some, it was a horror movie and all these people wind up at a hotel and they're all trying to figure out who's killing them and then they all get together and they start talking to each other and they find out they all have the same birthday in common and then you find out at the end of the movie that the dude was just crazy and all these people were people in his head. Fucking awesome movie if you know what I'm talking about. Put it in the comments of the chat or whatever and uh, yeah, but if I think of it, I'll put it in another episode or I'll just review, the, I'll, I'll probably just review the film once I figure it out. Anyway, it reminded me of that when it started doing all these, matching all these dates up. Now, I will say, now that I think about it, the guy that did the Saw movies and the producer and all that, he also worked on the Spiral film, which was part of the Saw canon, I guess. Um, I will say that I, I can see the influence in that. So if you liked Spiral, as far as the mystery part of it, I think you'll definitely like this movie because that's where I can really see some similarities between other films he's made in this one. So... That's uh, that's the best I can compare that to. Okay, anyway, we're getting sidetracked. They're sitting there looking at this thing that's dedicated to Moses, and all of a sudden a big grump, uh, group of people just come out of nowhere and start just attacking them. And uh, they beat up Preston, and they're like, you guys got to get the hell out of here. And they let them leave, but it's all very threatening. And now we're thinking, okay, this was probably the people in the woods, and why does everyone around here hate Jezebel? She doesn't understand. And they get back in Preston's Jeep thing, and they drive back to Jezebel's house, and he's like, all right, that's it. We got to get you out of here. We got to be done with this. And so she goes inside to get some stuff, and Preston goes in to help her out, and he picks her up, carries her out to the car, sets her in there, gets in the, the car to start it, and when he turns around, it's not Jezebel. It's the demon lady. Oh, shit. So he starts getting in a scrap with her. She knocks him out like a, like a bitch, and uh, he's, he's out cold, right? He's done, and... We have we get a really good look at the demon lady. She's not all gnarled up or nothing, you know. She just you can tell that she is dead in whatever plane of existence she's in, but she doesn't have like rotting flesh or weird demon claw hands or anything like that. But we can tell in this that she is a lady. Now while while all this is happening outside with Preston, Jezebel comes inside and she starts to realize that or, or I'm sorry, she's trying to get all of her stuff together and she gets a call from the sheriff. And the sheriff tells her that, hey, we, we don't know the identity of the baby, but we do know that the baby was murdered. So now Jezebel's like, oh, shit. Okay, so this was a murder. We got to figure out. Now she wants to help this demon lady. She says, this demon's not here to hurt me. This demon's here because it needs our help. So she decides she's going to try to help this thing. And then a couple of other things happen that aren't super important. And then we have our big reveal. Because after Preston gets knocked out, the mom and... Moses, who are dead, show up, looking very much alive. They're not all grayed out like the demon lady. They walk in, and they're alive, and of course Jezebel's freaking out. And we find out in this uh, little exchange with the two of them that the tapes, even though it says Jezebel and all this stuff, that they weren't meant for our main character, Jezebel, but they were meant for the baby in the coffin whose name is also Jezebel. So are they twins? 
Were they born at the same time? We still don't really know yet. We're trying to figure all that out. So is Jezebel as she's getting tied to her wheelchair by her ghost dead mother as Moses walks around and is like shaking some voodoo dust on her. Now, sometime in between all this, the sheriff called a second time and the phone was real staticky, of course, so she couldn't hear. She's like, hey, I think I figured out what happened. And then he goes on to tell her like, hey, we found out that you that your DNA and your dad's DNA doesn't match the baby in the coffin. And we also found out that the race of this baby is black. And she's like, it's kind of weird how she says it because she's doing this weird accent. She's like, it's black. And I was like, oh, God, that's fucking a weird, you know, pronunciation. Anyway, the reason it's important for the film is because uh, Jezebel's race is white. And so we start to figure out, I didn't, you know, you kind of start to figure it out, but then they just hit you with it and you find out that mom is a, a white lady and Moses is a black man and they had an affair and that's the baby who was in the coffin, who she named Jezebel, who is who she was pregnant with in the videos and who she made the videos for was for that baby, Jezebel. And so here's where the, like I said, the big reveal happens where we find out that the dad found out about this the day the baby was born. And when the baby came out, he was mad. He ends up killing the baby. Then he goes to Moses' house and he kills Moses. So that's how come his death date and the baby's uh, death date are the same. And Jezebel's birthday is the same because not only did he kill these two individuals, the dad goes and adopts or steals a baby or does whatever and names it Jezebel to cover up all these crimes. Right. Holy shit balls. Took the whole movie to figure this out. And that's quite a spider web of things. But that's what we get in the end. But that's not the end yet. Right. Because we've solved the mystery, but what do they want with Jezebel? She's getting tied down to this wheelchair, and what happens? Well, they're saying a bunch of spell stuff to her or whatever, and Mom starts wheeling her out towards the swamp, and she is, like, pushing her fast. So you know Mom's about to give her the old kerplunk there in the swamp while she's tied down. And while this is happening, Preston sees it. So on our view and what she is seeing is these two ghosts like pushing her out to drown her in this swamp. Well, then it cuts to Preston's view and it's literally Jezebel is wheeling herself off of this dock and into the swamp. And I mean, she just does it. She just goes in full, goes in, sinks all the way to the bottom and she can't get her hands free. And it's a cool part where it's the scene showing her hands tied to the wheelchair, and then it goes into the reality view of her hands are just sitting on the wheelchair, and it's all in her mind that she can't lift them up. Well, we know it is in her mind, but it's also supernatural, you know, kind of voodoo, black magic type stuff that's keeping her hands there, I guess. So as she's sitting there, she's starting to drown. Preston's doing his best to get over there, but it's really far away, so he can only go fast enough. And she's sitting there on the bottom, And the demon lady, who now we know is the real Jezebel, swims up out of the dark of the deep of the swamp, comes up to her, takes her bracelet and puts it on her own arm. We see Jezebel in the wheelchair. Her eyes fade and she dies. And the demon starts swimming swimming towards the top. Well, we know it's not a demon now. And she starts swimming towards the top. And when her head, like, breaches the top of the swamp and comes out, it's the Jezebel from the wheelchair. What? That's right. She possessed the body of that Jezebel. So when we were talking about possessing bodies and revenge and getting what's coming to you and all that, now we know what it's all about. The ending of this film is damn near a copycat 
or a close relative to the end of The Skeleton Key. If you've seen that movie, that is another great movie. And I will say the themes of both movies make you intensely uncomfortable because you have people that die in the end of it who are, you know, the the phrase, uh, paying for the sins of your father, so to say, because as she's getting wheeled out to get drowned in this lake, she's even saying, you know, what did I do? I didn't do anything. I, I didn't do this. And she's right. She's completely innocent and in all this. So was the other Jezebel that died. She was completely innocent and in all this. She didn't ask for anything that happened to happen. And so it's one of those again, it's a shotgun of emotions or it's like a shotgun to your emotions where you are just ripped in half trying to figure out like how to feel. And it's just awful all the way around. Like there's no winners, you know what I mean? And so, uh, because tragedy happened on all sides and that was a really cool part of the movie for me. I mean, it built up this mystery. It was super, had some scary parts. It had that whole, you know, is this a demon thing? Is this a ghost? Is this going to deal with witches and, and black magic and, and voodoo priestess and stuff like that? And it just tied all those together really good with a great mystery. And the end was a great payoff. And yeah, I was just, you know, like I said, it's just uncomfortable. You're uncomfortable because of the unjustness of it, the whole thing, all the way around. You know, it's it's bad people doing bad things and then bad shit happens and that comes into, and then that morphs into the new life of the Jezebel character who had her life taken away in the beginning when she was a newborn baby. So yeah, that's it. Uh, the new Jezebel comes out of the water. Preston jumps in, pulls her out, saves her. She gives Preston a big old kiss and says something like, take me inside my love and all this. She's just like totally, you know, gives in to him or whatever and that's the that's the end of the that's the end of the film. I mean what else more do we need really, right? But that's the end of the damn film. I loved it. I've been wanting to watch some witchy stuff. I know I've already done like all the Blair witches and I'm dying to do witch and any other type of folk horror witchy stuff because that stuff is kind of the only horror that really climbs up under my skin and scares me so I love that stuff but I don't want to do uh you know a podcast where I'm just doing witch stuff all the time so I'm trying to mix it up anyway that's going to be our post 2000 film we're going to go pre 2000 after this one again I got some more surprises coming up I don't know if I'm gonna be able to post it this week but next week for sure so stay tuned for that again you can email me at just james horror podcast at gmail.com Email me stories if you want me to read something online, or if you have a suggestion, throw that in the email. Or if you just want to talk a little bit of stuff, hit me up and talk some stuff, man. I'm all about it, all right? So, I enjoyed this. Check it out. This is a Just James Horror Review. I'm your host, Just James. Just James.